Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to The Gathering Room, as usual, but not as usual. A fantastic, amazing, special guest is going to come in. We are going to talk together about a topic that I think is of interest to all of us. It's about hope. And here with me is the great, the brilliant, the hilarious, the adorable and the intrepid Jill Bolte Taylor. Now Jill was with us a few, I think a couple months ago because she's written this incredible book, Whole Brain Living. And I, I want everybody to go out and buy this book immediately because everyone I've given it to, and I've given it to literally hundreds of people if you count everyone online. And I get emails every day telling me how great the book is, like I give anything. And um, it's actually, now you don't know Jill, I don't know what rock you've been living under, but you sure haven't been watching TED Talks because her brilliant TED Talk, My Stroke of Insight, was the first TED Talk ever to go viral. And it described Jill's experience as a Harvard neuroanatomist having a massive left hemisphere stroke when she was, what, 37, Jill? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, watching with a scientist's eye as her own brain was very, very badly damaged and then very gradually rebuilt over a period of about eight years. And miraculously, she recovered completely. Um, something I think I I think that counts as a miracle, Jill. I don't. Have you ever heard of anybody having that massive a stroke and getting absolute full function back? You know, it's so rare that people accuse me that it wasn't even real. <laughs> <laughs> it's like here's the brain scan, here's the scar. Here's oh the reports. God. I think it was real. Yeah, no, you know, I believed in the ability of the brain to recover. And it is this miraculous collection of cells. And we can either work with the cells and help them do what they're supposed to do. Or we can get in their way. Or we can hinder them by saying, no, I'm not going to get better. So I'm not even going to try. And so, you know, I, and I, but I, I believed. I mean, I'm a believer. I, I had hope and I, I was a believer and look at look at what happened. So I'm I feel I feel very blessed and very grateful. And just, you know, this is what I call gravy time, because uh, <laughs> this is the gravy on top of the meal. I mean, this is the special. This makes it extra special. I almost wasn't here. Yeah. And it is the gravy because it's actually better by your account than before you had the stroke because here's yeah. the thing you guys everybody who comes to the gathering room knows i'm obsessed with awakening and the transformation of consciousness and the establishment of peace on earth and everything well when jill rebuilt her brain she was able to selectively choose to focus on the aspects of her brain that bring joy love compassion connection and mute or um somehow not control but Dis disinhibit or Dis inhibit inhibit or disinhibit inhibit the parts of the brain that most of us have where we hate life and we just want to kill everyone <laughs> and die ourselves that is something that jill decided she didn't want anymore so she well, that that got in the way of the recovery oh really right? more because it would well if 
if I'm feeling, if I'm bemoaning my own existence and I'm not great filled with a sense of gratitude, then I'm bringing in an energetic that is, woe is me, I'm pathetic, I'm bad, I'm wrong, I'm no good, I'm less than I used to be because I fell off the Harvard ladder, blah, blah, blah. I'm a breathing body in the bed instead of a neuroanatomist at Harvard. And that the weight and energetic of that circuitry would only get in the way of my recovery because right. it essentially says, well, the buck stops here and we're stopped. Huh. And I didn't want any of that. So I had to purposely choose not to do that because that, that wasn't serving the bigger picture of the recovery it, process. So what's so interesting is that you talk about things like energetics and that's something that is, was not a big deal at Harvard when I was there and we didn't talk a lot about energy. And so here you're just as scientific as you ever were, just as sharp mind yeah. as ever. But you talk a lot about the yeah. energetics of um, people's interpersonal dynamics. And I have to tell the crowd uh, during my recent foot surgery, right after the surgery, I was talking to Jill and she she started asking me about my foot and turning her attention to it. And it felt like my foot was plugged in pleasantly, not unpleasantly, but a very intense electrical charge. <laughs> and, and then Jill actually said, if that's a little too much, let me pull some out. And I was like, aha, <laughs> you can do magic. I thought Jill juice. Yeah. You, you, yeah, you know, it, I think it's a matter of uh, what do we focus in and what do we believe in? You know, everything boils down to if I, you know, when I lost my left hemisphere, I lost the me, the individual. As I lost me, the individual, it wasn't about me and mine or how much could I get or who was I or anything that had anything to do with me. I shifted back into the energetic of the whole. Mm. And, and as a energy in the whole, there's no limitation. Every, you know, so the energy, it doesn't matter where you are on the planet, we're sharing an energetic, the airs, the molecules and atoms are all there. Yeah influencing one another. So of course I can focus on the energetic of, of your foot or mm -hmm. of your whatever. Um, I mean, physics has, has proven it, what happens on one side of the planet can influence what's happening on the other side of the planet. So imagine if we actually use this amazing conscious brain, which is this amazing network of these magnificent cells, these neurons, and I use that power to generate a force field that I then direct through my being to your being, of course yeah. that makes sense. I mean, it just makes sense. Simply because we can't see it with the left brain doesn't mean it's not real. So speaking of this, um, one of the most amazing things about whole brain living is that Jill takes her very sophisticated understanding of brain anatomy and she boils it down into some very simple, um, accessible tools that we can use to make choices ourselves to choose the same type of joyful life that Jill has achieved, but without having to go through a stroke. And she yeah. does that by talking about the four characters in the brain. So do you wanna just run us through that really quickly, Jill, so everybody 
That's what yeah. Yeah. yeah, so when you think about the brain, the brain is this collection of cells. And the part of the brain that we share with other mammals is this, the deeper cells of the emotional system, the cells of the limbic system. And so we have two amygdala and two hippocampi and two anterior cingulate gyri. And these are groups of cells that are resulting in our experience, bringing information in about the present moment and then processing it through emotion. And the left hemisphere is going to process it immediately about, have I ever seen anything like this before in the past or project my experience of this into the future? So the left hemisphere experiences time while the right hemisphere is just right here, right now. What's coming in and what is the experience of the present moment? So these are two very different emotional systems, the experience of the present moment through the right brain and the emotion from our past in the left brain. And then the human adds new tissue on top, and that's the neo or new cortex. Mm -hmm. And this is our thinking analytical tissue. So in the left hemisphere, it's all about processing me, details, details about me in relationship to the external world. So this is our A-type personality. Mm -hmm. And it, it likes to control everything, people, places, and things. It was punctual. It got us here on time, right? All of that. And the, the right thinking tissue is the portion of our brain that connects our consciousness to the consciousness of the present moment. So we have these end up with these four different modules of cells mm -hmm. and I name them character one. And that's all about control and creating order and categorizing. And it wants the stapler to go back where it belongs. And it critically <laughs> analyzes and it, it defines what's right, what wrong, what's good, bad. That's character one. We all have that. Character two is going to be our emotional pain from the past. It is our, our trauma from the past, our addiction uh, it's got addiction tissue, which gives us craving. Um, character three is going to be the emotion of the present moment right here, right now, experiential. Let's play together. Hey, it's good to see you, you know. And then character four is going to be my higher self, which is connected to that which is beyond me, that of which I am a part of, but, um, uh, and I exist as the atoms and molecules of the universe. So it's where we pray to, it's where we mantra to, it's where we, we meditate to, and hopefully if we find the present moment and we get out of the emotional experiential of the present moment, then we experience a connection with what we might call God, what we might call cosmic consciousness or infinite being or whatever it is that we call it. So we have these four, four modules of cells resulting in four characters inside of the brain. And what you advise, which is so, it's such a lovely inclusive model. Instead of saying like, you know, go into a cave and just access the right side of your brain and be in the present moment with God forever, you advise that you bring all four characters together in what you call a brain huddle. Yes. And I love the way you describe this because it's so cooperative and inclusive. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, the fact of the matter is we all have these four groups of cells inside of our brain. And if we want to be whole brained, if we want to be a true human, if we want to evolve to our best selves, then we have to figure out how do we get our brain cells to streamline with one another so that at any moment in time, we have the power to choose moment by moment 
which of these four characters we want to embody so that I can exist, I can, I can live the life I want to live. I have the power to choose. And in our society, we're taught that, you know, that character one is our conscious brain. And then our emotions of character two, the experiential of character three, and our connection to the higher being character four, those are all are unconscious. And it's like, I don't know why they don't have to be. If we understand what they are and what they do and what they value and we get to recognize when we appear as them in our lives, then we have that power to jump into any of those four instantaneously, call them all online together in what I call the brain huddle and have them have the conversation among them well, how are we all feeling about the current situation? Right. Because they're all going to have a different value. They're all going to have a different experience. Mm -hmm. And then they negotiate, okay, well, which who, who are we going to give the microphone to next <laughs> so that we're making conscious decisions, not just overreacting with hostility and pain and frustration or, or attacking or blaming with little character two and character one can come in and try to fix something and be analytical. And that might be appropriate or little character three might want to come in and be playful and witty and, and humorous and fun and playful or character four might just come in with love and say, you know, what will be, will be. Mm. Are we grateful we're alive? I love that. And ever since I read your book, it's so, and Jill suggests that we name each of the four characters. Um, so um, my little one is, is uh, Fang. No, Dolores. Dolores. She's always sad and worried. And then That's Fang. Number two. Oh, Who's yeah, number, two. number one is Fang or sorry. Why? Used to be Fang because Fang was necessary for me to function at Harvard. Oh, I had to Fang, go out graduate seminars and those professors I had to have fang, but now uh, it's charge, right? And yeah. Dolores is like always and they're going, oh no, but what, what's gonna happen? And then over on the, on the other side, here's the weird thing. Jill and I named our character threes the same name, which is Pigpen. <laughs> and so I've got her going and she loves to draw and paint and stuff. And then yeah. my character four is nameless because it's connected to God. And, and it is nameless. It's yeah. heartless, it's it nameless. It's a, yeah. So since I read Jill's book, what happens is I freak out about something. And instead of trying to sort of hash it out, I immediately, I bring in my character four and say, okay, everybody calm down. Everyone calm down. Yeah, so breathe. Jill, well, calm everything's down. all right. And then like uh, Dolores is like, ah, and, and Sarge says, okay, here's what we're going to do. One, two, three. Character four nameless is always going to chill. Be good. Calm down. And then Pink goes, I can do this. I know exactly what to do now. Ah, yay. Right. And it actually led to a higher degree for me of what I call integrity. Now, this was the book I was writing, Integrity, at the same time that Jill was writing her book, Whole Brain Living. And when she read it, Jill called me and she said, we're writing about the same thing. Yeah. Writing about it. So for me, integrity means you're one thing. It, it just means intact. It doesn't mean that you're a good girl and get stars in heaven. It just means that you're whole and undivided. Yeah. And that's what a brain huddle does. It makes you whole and undivided. Exactly. And so we started talking about how this has implications. Jill's a brain scientist. So she goes into the individual and like gets the details. I was trained as a sociologist. So I go out from the individual yes. and I look at group behavior and ultimately all human behavior. And, and what's interesting 
one of the things I talk about in my book is the concept of a fractal. So a fractal might be, it's a shape in nature that repeats itself in different sizes. So for example, your nervous system has a pattern that's very much like the roots of a tree, which is very much the way a river delta spreads as it goes into the sea, because that pattern of veins extending is a natural pattern and they are fractals of each other. So Jill's idea of the brain huddle, I was like, okay, so if you do that as a human, you're gonna start to have a fractal in your life of being able to calm the personalities around you who are all exhibiting these same four characters. Yes. So now if you have somebody around you who's usually mature and who suddenly freaks out, you go, oh, their character two is up, you know? Right. And then you can bring your character four and, and do a kind of embrace of, of their brain huddle. So you bring two brains together. Then yes. maybe you get a group. So Jill and I get together. We've got a fractal of two. We're talking about the same thing. And I was talking to Jill about how I believe, and I say this all the time on The Gathering Room, this is why The Gathering Room exists, that there's kind of a network of people all over the world whose attention has been on transformation and, and the saving of the environment and the well-being of, of all people and all creatures. And I was talking about how I used to call it the team. And Jill goes, we're on the phone, she goes, it's just a neural network. And I was like, Oh yeah, you're right, it is. So I started to think about the whole world as one brain that needs the type of insight Jill is giving us in this book. And we started talking about what will happen if we can all start to live this way, if we can access the brain huddle and we can start to extend it beyond ourselves. And Jill said, you know what we should talk about? We should talk about hope. And I just, oh. wow, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Oh my God, there is hope in what you're saying. Could you talk more about hope and yeah. how your work has led you to, to have hope? And yeah. hope. So um, uh, I want to reiterate what you just said, though. Um, and I want to tell your audience that they, they're getting character one. Usually when we hang out and chat, you're your character three. Oh, you are too. <laughs> Jill, Jill's like, I, I'm like, are you drinking a big glass of water? She's like, I'm paddleboarding. Paddleboarding around on a lake. I mean, we should talk about this. I mean, talk about integrity. Part of what I say in my book is like, get what, know what you love and then live it. And yeah. so Jill lives on a boat in the middle of a lake. Yeah. Because <laughs> very happily. <laughs> and, and the same process by which you chose the brain you wanted yeah. is right. the process by which you chose the life That's right. you wanted. That's right. So, I, so yeah. Talk when about I that. think about all this, I, I look at it as, you know, the microcosm to me is the cells and the relationship of the cells with one another in relationship. There's a sociological environment in how brain cells interact with one another. And yeah. if we have four groups of cells inside of our brain that are interested in specific things, and then there are a whole bunch of people who are kind of their default characters, their character one, then they're going to have a sociological norm for character ones. Right. And then the character twos are their own energetic. And these are very different feeling people. 
and yeah. they're going to have their own sociological norm. And then there's character three sociological norm, which is very experiential, very present, very impulsive, very creative, very ebullient, perhaps even law breaking. I mean, because they don't <laughs> respect authority, you know, so there's there's that culture. And then there's the culture of being with God. And so as we look at the macrocosm of sociology, mm -hmm. to me, sociology is then how do we as humans, instead of cells, now we're looking at humans in relationship to the earth and in relationship to one another. So I, I you know, I, I think, you know, we get together and we just bounce, 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 because everything is this fractal of of design. The design is the same, but you're focused on the people and how do people do it? And I'm focused on cells right. and how did cells do it? So we can change behavior, the external by focusing on the cells, but hmm. we can change the cells by focusing on the behavior. Ah. So it's not that it's a you and you do what you do and a me and I do what I do. It's about their, the interaction between the two and, and that relationship. Right. And we know that we can meditate or we can, we can learn something new every time. Let's say we want to learn how to play the piano. Well, of course, we start out and we're terrible. So behaviorally, we're terrible, right? right. But then the neurons start interconnecting and saying, oh, okay, well, we're going to work together. And then now all of a sudden, I'm a little more of fluid. And then we're, more neurons are going to come in and say, okay, well, let's read some music. And then we're even a little bit better at it. And then it's like, then my mind says, well, this sound sounds like this note. And I can learn that and I can, I can then produce automatically without reading music and mm -hmm. and it's because the neural network is being stimulated by the behavior and by the action and by the hope that I can actually get hope to me is a verb it's an action I mean mm -hmm. I can exist and just exist and I can be a neuron and another neuron next to me and we can just exist but if we're going to do something there has to be an impetus for action Right. And hope is one of those impetuses for action. So whether it's, it, you know, there's so many different emotions that we can exude, but hope sets us in an action toward a chosen intention in a positive vein. And, and that's all you have to do. That's, that's the beauty of hope. If you have hope, there you have possibility. And when there is no hope, there's no action and there's no possibility. Oh, that's fascinating. And it's really interesting to talk about learning to play the piano as a goal-directed thing and learning to heal the world as a massive group goal. And as if we have hope that we can do that, yeah. then we begin to interact with each other. Yeah. And yes, we, we're bad at it at first, and then we get slightly better and slightly yeah. better. And there's an interesting thing, and this is why I was thinking, this is why I have hope. And that is that the left side of the brain is really loud. Like if you yeah. sit down to meditate, it's like, oh no, everything's going wrong. It's okay, I'm in control. You know, like those yeah. are the two characters. But the right side characters are like, boop, ba -doop, ba -doop, boop, or like, whatever. They don't interfere. Yeah. They're very right. quiet. They're happy, but they're not interfering. So you get a, you get a brain, a world where everything's starting to develop 
the left side, the fear, the screaming, the the controlling, all of that is going to be very, very loud. Yeah. You don't even realize that there's this massive power going on simultaneously that is quiet. Yeah. It's silent. Right. So when we're talking about, like, when you're sending me an energetic over the phone to my foot, you're broadcasting that from your whole brain, but the choices are being made from the God part and the pig pen part because right. they're the creative and energetic masters. Yeah. 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 The well, they're, they're the ones that exist beyond the boundaries of, of me, where I begin and where I end. And if I think I begin and end here, then that's all I can do. Right. But if I know that I can, I can influence if I if I know that I can look at a tree and I can watch the tree limb move and I can feel and experience myself as the energy that is lifting and causing that limb to move, then I have I, I have simply consciously shifted my focus of what I am away from my left brain, me small, me limited into yeah. me boundless and open a possibility. Mm. So, and, and it is true. I mean, if I wipe out a small group of cells in my left hemisphere, then I don't know where I begin and where I end anymore. I mean, I mean, that's, that's part of this beautiful brain yeah. and how it's like knowing time. We, we can know what time it is because we have a group of cells that tracks time. So yeah. we can tell our brain to wake up at three in the morning. Cause we got to catch an airplane at five and you know, we got to get there, blah, blah, blah. And we can do that because there's a group of cells wipe out those cells. We can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Wipe out that cells that defines the boundaries of where I begin and end. And the energy of my foot becomes the energy of everyone's foot. Yeah. And it's real. I mean, that's the thing is that Jill and people can say all things are one fine, but Jill actually was in the part of her brain that perceives and experiences the truth that we are all wave energy interacting with other wave. Yeah. All for eight years. Yeah. So it wasn't, it's not, she's not just spouting some kind of religious doctrine. She's <laughs> lived this as a perceivable reality. And we can't, oh, yeah. if we're willing yeah. to go there, yeah, I wanted to tell a story because everything's a metaphor for this, right? Yeah. We were talking, and I call it the story of the demon houseboat. And <laughs> this happened last week. And uh, we were talking on the phone, and Jill's on her boat. By the way, I've had people say, well, I'd have to sell my house to live on a boat. And I'm like, all right, do it. Like, that's a choice too, right? Yeah, it's a choice. So we were talking about Jill lives in this incredible, like, divine, like Garden of Eden place. But there are these houseboats that sleep about 12 people and they come with a lot of alcohol and very loud um, thump, thump, thump music. Now we know that's none of your listeners. Well, probably not. <laughs> yeah, you guys are going to be sorely disappointed if you're looking for that from me. So, and I, for me, it's like weed whackers. They're the, they are my definition of hell in the forest. But just, she's like, so this this boat came. Tell me if where I'm wrong here. Huge yeah. on this entire massive lake comes right up to Jill's boat practically, yeah. and starts thumping this loud music, bong bong, and, and people are like screaming and laughing and drunk, and that you know. So tell them what you did, Jill, <laughs> and then think about this as the loud left hemisphere. Everybody's like, ah, 
Yeah. So these, the, you know, it's interesting to me. I live out here with God because I spend a lot of time in my character for it. I'm very peaceful and I'm very happy here. And my friends are, you know, the, the heron and the turtles and the fish and, you know, the creatures, they're my friends and friends come and visit and that's great. And, um, but this is where I live. It's a sacred quiet, beautiful place. And I'm listening. You can probably hear it. The cicadas in the background, the, the bullfrogs singing their song. You know, I'm here because it's so beautiful and I want to live in the presence of God and be energetically influenced by that yeah. because I like the way it feels inside of my body. Of course, that's what I would want to do. So then these boats come in and they're doing this blaring this noisy music that doesn't even have a rhythm i mean i don't even understand music that doesn't it's not weirdly syncopated right and so they're parked literally 100 feet from my boat and this is a big honking lake i mean it is like huge but they've chosen to do that and i thought well if their music bothers me this way if it just rubs my core of my being into you know anxiety and hostility then i'll bet my music would do the same for them so what i did was i have a very large sounding bowl a toning bowl and so i took it out a really big sounding bowl so i took it out and i put it on the 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 on the table out back and i just boom boom <laughs> boom so all of a sudden you know i'm sounding very buddhist and then and I'm toning with it, you know, with my voice. Well, it took about 20 minutes before things started getting kind of, you know, but and I started to get tired. Then I thought, you know, it's not me against them because they just kept it up. So it's like, so just meld into my own tone. Just be that. And, and then you can, you know, my arm wasn't tired anymore and I could just do it. And so after an hour of just blaring this tone into the cove, the next thing I know is they're gone. And it was, I love that. I mean, they were as uncomfortable in the single tone of this soul resonating pattern as I was in their syncopation or, or whatever. And, and it was, it was a really, you know, it was a good moment for me because um, I want to be peaceful out here and I don't mind sharing this beautiful cove with peaceful people. Um, and, and it was like, I don't want to feel irritation. I don't want to feel anxiety. I don't want to feel hostility. Yeah. I don't want to stimulate my character too. And, and I want to figure out, well, as, as Pema Chodron talks about Shenpa, uh, Shenpa is that moment of irritation, that moment when something happens and I feel I'm irritated and it's like, I don't want to be in my irritation. So even when it's it's so invasive to me of the sound, um, how do I bring my myself back to my own sense of deep inner peace so that regardless of what's going on around me, I can still walk my walk in the grace of God? Mm. And uh, the sounding bowl was very helpful. <laughs> So, and that's a metaphor for what happened to me when I started meditating. It was panic attacks for four months. And then it just went like the, finally the right hemisphere got sort of, it just kind of the stillness came and embraced the the sound and the sound finally went quiet. And it's, 
if Jill can do that with a sounding bowl in a cove, and we can do that in our own brains, we no. can do it for the whole damn world. That's, that's what. Right. That's where I have the hope that if we just sit and resonate with our own character force, and if we live in brain huddles where there, we're primarily focused on peace and and compassion. Yeah. It eventually, the other side eventually gets tired. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's spinning. It's like a like a tornado. You know, it's energy, and its energy is accelerated, and it's fast, and it's loud, and it's noisy, and it's drunk, and it's stoned, and it's all these things yeah. because it doesn't. It wants to mask its own pain. Yeah. And uh, uh, you know, a, a wonderful friend of mine. I don't know if this line is from AA. Uh, or not, but she she uses this phrase, and it's so powerful for me, is that give people the dignity of their own pain. Mm. Give people the dignity of their own pain, but I don't have to feel their pain, right? right? And I don't have to fix their pain. And mm. if I'm going to stand in the presence of their pain, I don't have to mirror neuron reflect their pain. I can stay in my own space of peace and allow them to feel that pain because it is through that pain. We've all felt pain. We've all had trauma. We've all had moments where it's like, I don't want to feel it or I'm going to grow. If I do feel it, I have to grow because I got to get through it. And then I realize, well, it's not me. It's a part of me. It's a piece of who I am that I don't have to dwell in and hook into. And so as I look at hope, especially in the world and the condition that it is right now, I mean, all you have to do is say Afghanistan and everybody's souls just sink. And it's like, okay, so let's focus on the, you know, it's kind of like cancer. If you got cancerous cells in your body and you focus on the cancer and all the energy goes to the disease, the disease, then the disease grows because energetically that's what we're doing. So the goal is to fuel the energy of all the healthy cells so that the healthy cells can bring wellness to those cells that have gone haywire. Mm -hmm. And I think that the true, so at a cellular level, that then again becomes the microcosm. And then the macrocosm is as a societal, if we focus on the love and we focus on the goodness, we know that love is healing. We know that, that energetic, uh, there are practices like Reiki where we can share energy. Energy is a real thing. And I'm like a for energy, right? So, and then I got this conscious mind that can focus it with consciousness. Oh my gosh, we are so powerful beyond yeah. our wildest imaginations. Yeah. And I think then focusing on the love and focusing on our own love and focusing on the beauty and focusing on, you know, we, we need to come up with tools where we can really visualize the massiveness of yeah. our goodness because we're focusing on all this horrible news, horrible news, horrible news, horrible news, horrible news, and the pandemic and the energetic that that, that virus is resonating and thriving in. Mm -hmm. And that's not our vibration. Yeah. So, you know, if we can raise ourselves into thinking and being love and really embodying and taking responsibility for what am I as this massive collection of focused, conscious energy, oh my gosh, and we put that with yours and we put that with hundreds of thousands and millions of other people's positive energy, things are going to change. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I'm going to, what, I'm going to put it on my wall. Focus 
on the massiveness of our goodness. What a cool way to respond. Yeah. Questions all through this. And I just want, we can answer all of them, but yeah. I'm going to read out some of them. Well, this will uh, be fun. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay, Pig Pan, let's do it. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. Linda asks, how do you think it would have been? I've asked you this too. This is fascinating. If your deficits were, had been on the right brain hemisphere. Oh, completely different. I would have lost my connection to the expansiveness. I would have uh, focused on detail, 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 detail. I would have hooked into my pain. I'd take things personally. Uh, my character one and two would just be un unbalanced. Um, I've had so many people come to me and say, my stroke was, was exactly the opposite of yours. And I can't find God. Wow. So many people have used those words. I cannot find God anymore. I can pray. I can't feel it. I can't sense myself expand. I can't go into that bigger picture. Instead, I feel very irritable. I'm constantly criticizing my, my caregivers. I, I've actually oh, become kind of mean. I mean, people are aware because it's like, well, you're wearing the wrong color. Well, you know, Marty, you're, you're, you think something's not right. You know, this is what's wrong. You know, the focus all becomes on, on what's wrong instead of the right brain looking for similarities and an interconnection and what's right. So it would have been a completely opposite experience. And there are so many stroke survivors who have had the exact opposite. Although don't, don't you say in your first book, my stroke of insight, you comment that there are far more left hemisphere strokes in the, in our culture than there are right hemisphere strokes. Is well, that there are many, yes, there are many more reported okay reported and and think about it part of it is if i've wiped out my left brain which is where my language is yeah i can't hide that very well yeah right yeah. but if i've lost things in my right brain which are subtle more innuendo intuitive types of things then i can mask that i might not feel normal inside but if i want to hide it from you i probably can do that a lot easier Boy, that goes right to the integrity thing about not hiding what's going on. Wow. Okay, yeah. so Sherry asks, um, so I'm hearing that you say hope equals intention. No, because intention is a direction. Hope is a impulse. Mm. Mm. So, so uh, and you have to have the impulse to move before you know where you're going. Uh-huh. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I so do. To, to me, hope hope can be, can end up being an intention. Right. My, but but hope to me is is the impetus toward something new. Yeah. So you and then yeah. and then and then it may be a positive intention or it, it may be I'm I'm feeling sadness, but right. it's 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 the impetus to run a circuit. And that circuit intention is a group of cells. 
Intention is not everywhere in the brain. Mm. Intention is a group of cells in the right hemisphere. So if you don't have, a lot of people don't have any real intention. And that's because they're not running that right brain circuitry of of what, they're just like flopping around like fish in the sea, right? They don't know, they don't know they're heading somewhere or purposefully heading somewhere. A lot of us are just running in random, right? And that's the left brain, it's just going somewhere. Yeah, when people, somewhere. They, when people come to me, they typically say, I don't know where I'm going. And that's where I start my book. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know why I'm here. I didn't realize right. a lot about intention living on the right side of the brain. That's yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Elise says, question, love this and love y'all. I try not to think in scarcity or fears, fearful mindset. And my strategies may work for a brief time. But my stubborn brain defaults quickly to how it's been for 50 years. Any mind strategies to shift my brain patterns um, into, more quickly and efficiently as a, that it lasts longer. Hold up that book. Yeah, it's all here, you guys. It's all there. Yeah. It and is it's- exactly, that is exactly what this is about. How do I get out of my character too? And I have these other characters, but my if my default is my my pain and my fear of the unknown and all of that, then that's a character. That's a group of cells inside of the brain. And by knowing the other characters, then you can strengthen them by choosing to embody them more often. And then you can start looking at the relationships between these different characters with your own character, too. And how are they? How can they? they become healthier and more supportive inside your own brain. Cool. Yeah, that's exactly what that book is about. Yeah, and it's so clear, so simple, so accessible. It's easy. And, and you know, I'd also, I also studied Asian societies and philosophies, and they, they will say, any Asian master will tell you what Jill does in one word, which is attention. Put your attention to this collective calming and just keep, if your attention keeps getting pulled to the fearful, you know, character too, yeah. move your attention, move your yeah. attention. Focus. What are you focused on? Because yeah. the attention is kind of like the intention, but there's a little bit different at the level of the brain, but the, the attention is the focus. What am I going to focus on? Well, if I focus on the news that is negative and bad, I'm going to feel horrible yeah. because that's the energy that's going to stimulate that part of my brain that resonates with, with my fear because that's what it is. That's what it's doing. It's doing that. But if I can look at that and say, okay, um, uh, you know, I can focus on on uh, other things like a podcast like this that is is specifically designed to figure out, well, how do I use other parts of me that do bring me hope? How yeah. do I find hope? What is hope? And I've been thinking so much about at the level of the brain, what is hope? Yeah. And hope, in order to have hope, I can't just be. I have to, I have to, there's, there's something beyond and so intention is me choosing which of the beyond path i will take Uh in order to pursue but the hope is the impetus of action and and so if you've got a neuron that that is kind of not communicating with other neurons it's not in the link like when i had my stroke 
And did I have any hope? Well, any hope or what? First of all, you have to ask yourself hope or what? But hope, hope became a, a, a willingness to try whatever uh -huh. trying is. I, I'm either willing to try for anything or I'm not. So try for change, a change of this yeah. what I currently am. So hope to me is the impetus toward making that leap toward the try. And once I have the try, then I can try with a, an intention toward a specific goal. I love that. And I love the fact that it's all brain science. So Anne says, what character in our brain is best at establishing boundaries? Healthy boundaries? Yeah. Well, um, character one's going to come in and say, um, "This is what I want. This is what I what I this is this is here's right and wrong and good and bad." Mm -hmm. Okay, so character one's going to come in and and set uh, the boundaries. Character two is going to say, um, uh, "Anything outside of that boundary brings me pain. It scares mm -hmm. me. All right, I'm limited." Uh, I'm constricted. I'm small. I'm when I'm smaller, the boundaries are, uh, the more rigid I am, the, the safer I feel in my little box. Mm -hmm. Uh, character four comes in and says, um, uh, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> that doesn't resonate with my integrity. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't work for me. So you can go and you can do that and you can be that, but here's my healthy boundary. And character three is going to say, um, uh, but I still like you. Can we still play? Can we still do it together? I want us to get along. It's important to me to get along. But I want to resonate with you in a positive way. So I think boundaries, uh, that's how the four characters would interact with boundaries. I like I that. Love that. That's a good I love that. There's always a brain huddle solution. It's so great. Yeah. Um, uh, and also says, I teach children with severely traumatized character twos. Yes. You can see that they're stuck there. What's the best way to help them? Love them with their character four. Mm -hmm. So children need to know that they're loved. Um, character four is love. And my character four, because uh, I can look and recognize my own character four, I can know this part of me. I, I can learn. I can know uh, what it feels like to be connected to to love, to God, to nature, to where when I do feel safe. Train children to recognize when do they feel safe. Mm -hmm. um, and that that's a, an inside place. That's not just an outside place. Now, there might be safe houses, safe people, safe um, uh, relatives and unsafe people. Yeah. We all know that. Um, and to really try to figure out that, that safety, how do we identify with that safety? Because ultimately, uh, we want children to know. And so I'm, I'm working on a children's book of, of these four characters so That's kids great. can learn and get to know their own four characters so that they know character four is inside of me. Character four, you know, I can be in the hell of someone else driving, beating, loud, voluminous music. And even if I didn't have a sounding bowl in my own head, I could run that tone and I can be at peace or I can go swimming and get in underwater and get away from the noise. But ultimately it's about me managing me. How do I manage me and teaching children that they have that power? Yeah.
They oh. have that power. They have that power to choose those four different characters and to identify them inside of themselves. So they do find that power. And it might be, you know, I want to go hide in the closet because the closet's the safe place for me and I can feel, and maybe I take my imaginary friend or maybe I take my Teddy or, or maybe I take my little whatever. I love the phrase, safety is an inside place. I mean, yeah. if we could all, children, adults, everyone, people who are a hundred years old and dying, we all need exactly that phrase. Safety is an inside place. It can't be taken away from you. Oh, right. Beautiful. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that physically I'm not oh, yeah, capable sure. of, of experiencing trauma. And I may not always be able to get myself out of trauma. I mean, when I had that stroke, God knows it was trauma. I couldn't walk, talk, read, write, recall it any of my life. I mean, I, I was an infant in a woman's body. I was captive. Wow. Um, and I fell off the Harvard ladder and all the character one things that she cares about. And, and, you know, uh, I, I mean, I just, that was trauma, mm -hmm. but how did I manifest in the presence of that trauma was I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I'm okay if I live. I'm okay if I die. I'm okay if I'm experiencing trauma and pain. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. This may be happening to me physiologically, emotionally, spiritually. I may be completely violated, but I'm okay. The essence of me yeah. cannot be taken or touched or invaded the essence of me is mine. And I think that it was um, um, uh, one of the great leaders, I think it was Gandhi, who was being beaten in a street. And he said, you know, I, I, I cannot, with, you cannot hurt me without my permission. Mm, yeah. No, without my permission. And it's what? a beautiful understanding of self. I, as a right brain, I I have this life, these cells, but I am beyond. I am this consciousness. I am this energy form. Yeah. And I exist not in this way as this person with these likes and dislikes and right and wrongs and good and bads of me defined as Jill Bolte Taylor and everything of her life, blah, 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 in the external world. But the energetic of what I am, that's the magic of life. That's the difference between me and me and being a robot yeah. is I have life. And when the form is gone, when this form is removed, that doesn't mean that the energetic consciousness, energy has to go somewhere. Energy transmutes itself in, from one form into another form. It doesn't disappear. Right. So even though I will become an organic mass of waste at some point, <laughs> in the meantime, I have life. And then when, so, so, so safety is an, it's an internal place. It's an internal concept. So you may have already answered this, but Annette says, I just want to get specific. Can trauma and PTSD create the same issues that you just talked about? If you have a right brain stroke, the inability to find or connect with God. So somebody's now traumatized and yeah. right now you need to hope, but they can't find it. Uh, how would you proceed then if you can't connect? I, well, I think that that it, it's similar but different. If you have the right brain stroke, it's gone. That cellular structure is not even available. 
But if I'm experiencing trauma in the left brain, if I'm experiencing drama, trauma in my life yeah. and I move into my fear and my scarcity and my constriction and my my pain and, and I can't escape that, whether I'm in it or whether I'm no longer in it, but I can go back to it like that because I'm wired for that now. It's in my circuitry. I still have the capacity as a normal human being, even experiencing trauma, to find that place of that character four outside of myself. It's hmm. still circuitry, and I can train myself to, to focus on other things, to loosen the density of that character to pain and open it up into new possibility. And recovery is real. I mean, I'm a living example that neuroplasticity, we can create new synaptic connections at a rate of 1.8 million new connections per second. I mean, 1.8 million per second. How many new synaptic connections? We could have completely rewired our brains in the last moments of this uh, podcast. Oh, my God. That's so phenomenal. I remember reading that number in your book, and it just was like, we are, so, we, we, we are not using these machines to their capacity. No, we? we are so much more powerful than we've ever been given credit or been taught. Yeah. And now you're teaching us, thank God. So Ruby says, I've experienced emotional memories that seem to be held in the soft tissue of my body. Do you think all memories and emotions are stored completely in the brain? I think that, um, I think that this is a tough one for me because I know everybody's about muscle memory. So I'm going to say this about that. We are 50 trillion beautiful molecular geniuses strong. We have this incredible network of neurons who are specifically designed to communicate like uh, a computer, if you will, as a motherboard to organize and create. And it's alive and it's well and it's intricately connected to everything. But all my cells are alive. And all of my cells, pretty much, except for my um, uh, some of the cells floating around in the bloodstream, are directly influenced by these neurons. Mm -hmm. And so I end up with patterned responses of energy. So my ability to do this, when I had my, my paralysis of my right arm, I couldn't wiggle my finger because the neurons here were, were busted. Uh -huh. And the pattern here then got atrophied and tired and, and, you know, but could they, could I get that reconnection to happen again? Well, eventually, and then I was a guitar player. So could I wiggle my fingers and, mm. and do it together and, and make, you know, sound and music and all that. So um, every, but everything's a pattern of energy. Yeah. So yeah. is there memory in other places? Not like we think. You know, I not like we think they can't think like we think, but hmm. do they have energetic patterns that can get disturbed? Well, let's say, uh, you know, the other day I fell and um, I went down about two steps and I twisted my ankle. And so my ankle went bam and uh, a whole lot of pain came online. And I thought to myself, well, you know, that was bad. And so I laid there a while and I thought, okay. Um, now there's a wound, right? I have stretched ligaments and, and tendons and things in a way that they don't want to be stretched. 
uh, hurts like the devil and it hurts because there's tissue damage. And when cells break, uh, they, they give little signs out to eosinophils and other blood cells that say, hey, alarm, alarm, alert, alert, bring in the fire engines. We got a problem down here. Bring in the EMTs, right? We got to have some attention. And so the uh, immune system starts flooding down to that. And that's why we swell. Um, and energetically, I didn't want to have congestion there as just, as just uh, you know, because that would make it even more dense. Right. Now, I wanted all the immune cells to go there, but I didn't want it to get clogged up with swelling. So instead of putting my energy into it, I pulled my energy out and threw it so that the energy has me big as the universe, the energetic I'm fueling into it is the energy pattern of what is healthy and normal, as opposed to just the congestion, let's get dense, let's get this, let's get that and whatever. So all of that is to say, um, everything has patterned responses. And, and we can congest and get in the way of those pattern responses and create illness. And when we have a wound like that, now all of a sudden that's going to interfere with the natural energy flow pattern of what my ankle usually does. And I want my, my ankle to go back to its normal energetic patterns before, as soon as possible, right? But the more it swells, the longer it'll take, blah, blah, blah. The longer it takes to heal, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, it, you know, and, and that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> that's very cool. So go back to the, just to, to finish up here. Um, first, I want to say that Jill is doing a free online event on um, August 24th through 26th. So that's yeah. right up this week. And it's called Balance Your Brain, Tools to Overcome Anxiety and Fear, which yeah. I know there, we have a lot of anxiety and fear folk. We're like the anxiety team here on The Gathering Room. So I wanted to say that first, but just to, to take our attention off fear and back to hope yeah. is exactly the way Jill took her attention away from her foot. And she did the same thing with my injured foot yeah. when she pushed energy into it and then said, that's a little congested and then pulled the energy back. This yeah. death is real. She used it to heal her own foot. She used it to heal mine. It was amazing. But think about the implication if all of us are in fact just fractals of these miraculous cells yeah. and we're all networked. So let's like in the, in the coming weeks, practice bringing in the huddle. And if you find anxiety, first of all, pull attention off what's making you anxious, put attention on what gives you hope, anything that gives you yeah. hope. There are lots of things. Go online. Yeah. Animals are befriending each other. We never even knew. Now the internet, you know, there's a deer and a puppy playing together. Go look at it. So <laughs> you pull your attention off the wounding, which yeah. is all where it's focused. Put yeah. it on something beautiful. Yeah. See if you can find your way back into character four. I had to do that with my own life. I had my own childhood trauma. And during that trauma, I've never told anyone this publicly. Uh, when I was five years old and I was being um, raped, um, I had the experience of seeing a light, which I again saw in surgery when I was 29. I did not remember seeing the light until I had the second experience. But what it told me was, if you had not been shown this light, you would have been overwhelmed by the trauma and you would have no longer been capable of making the choice. Mm. The universe or your brain or whatever it was, 
gave you the experience of the light during the experience of intense trauma. Wow. Amazing. So, not to save you, but so you would have freedom to choose between uh -huh. the light and the darkness. Wow. Because that's what you're here to do. And we're all here to do that. Yeah. There is massive trauma being inflicted every like Afghanistan is just, uh, yeah. yeah. But there is also a light shining. Yeah. Also the ability to find our way to the left hemisphere and to become yeah. the brain huddle that brings together the frightened yeah. aspects of humanity and the access to God and the ability to plan and the ability to be joyful and playful and and to have fun doing it all. That's what amazes me so much about you, Jill. Just the last thing I want to say is you are so much fun. <laughs> like all this intellect and all this deep spirituality. And you're like, I just ruined the plumbing. I'm going to town for more supplies. Like you are not what people would expect a spiritual master Harvard neuroanatomist to be. And that's what I love about you. And the things that heal the world may not be what we expect, yeah. but your very existence gives me no. a reason to hope for us. No, well, that's sweet, you know, and, and so picture, and I love, thank you for sharing your story um, also about the light and, you know, what, what, what it felt like to me when all I had was the right brain was, you know, you, the movie Cocoon, the, the energy beams, the beams of light, that's what we are. And, and then we put on this zipper suit that looks like us, you know, and it's like, but don't forget that this is a zipper suit. Don't forget the energy beam that we are. And to me, hope is, is if I use the impetus of energetic toward that verb, that action, and then I can help direct my mind towards something positive, like the light, you know, I am a being a light. And that's why in yeah. your experience where you were shown the light and got to choose, now you have a choice. That's exactly the same thing. We have the choice to focus on something positive. Whatever we focus on, it grows. Whatever we focus on, we find more of it and we attract more of it into our lives. So stop watching the news if you're, if you know, if that just is killing you. Uh, because it's when we feel that helplessness, what can I do about Afghanistan? Is I can love, send love into the universe and say, I am, I am. I am hopeful that the power of the energy of what I am can connect with the power of the energy of what you are. And as we build that network together consciously, that energetic grows and the light grows stronger and the darkness becomes weaker. And we know at a level of true physics and chemistry that that's reality. That is true at the micro level. And since we all know about fractals, it's going to be at the exponential level as well. Fabulous. Okay. For more, go to the free virtual event, August 24th to 26th. Balance your brain tools to overcome anxiety and, and fear. It's free. It's fabulous. Why would you not go? And um, just thanking Dr. Taylor and all of you for coming, Jill and Pigpen and okay. all of What's your character for named? Queen Toad. That's right, Queen Toad. So thanks, Queen Toad, for coming, for all of us bringing all our parts. Thank you so much for being here at the gathering room. And we'll see you on the interwebs. Mwah, mwah. Mwah. Thank, Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Marty. Bye. Bye-bye.
For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, a few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. 